Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate, and provide education from our guests' experience. So we are joined today by Nick Jackson, who's a uh, registrar in restorative dentistry, and Amy Patrick, who's a registrar in uh, oral surgery. I think you have to be able to show commitment. You have to be committed towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, certain things, you have to make sure it's right time in your life as well. Um, and you're able to, uh, it's not a sacrifice, but you have to, come, like you said, come in early. Mm-hmm. You have to work extra hours and occasions. Um, and so you've got to have uh, what you've got to be understanding yourself, also understanding family and friends, and they know that you're going to have a very busy job, but it's extremely re- rewarding. Find out what it is that you do enjoy. Spend your time. Um, you know, working out that you love it because when you love it, you love coming to work. So ultimately, I do love my job. And that mm-hmm. probably is why you see me here all the time. <laughs> With your host, Josh Hudson. Uh, in one of our previous episodes, we talked to trainees that were training to be specialists. And in this episode, we're focusing a little bit more on trainees that are on the training pathway to ultimately be consultants. So to start off with, Amy, if you could just tell us briefly about yourself and how you got to the point that you're at now. Yeah, hi. Well, thank you for having me today. It's okay. um, so yeah, my name's Amy and uh, I have just completed my specialty training in oral surgery. Um, so I'm now at the point where I'm I'm applying for consultant posts. So I've got a bit of a, a different kind of entry to, to where I am now. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a little older than the <laughs> average registrar, shall we say. Uh, obviously you don't look it, but you know. <laughs> um, and uh, I, uh, I've done a couple of de- degrees before I uh, started dentistry. So I did my uh, BSc in anatomy and neuroscience, and then I did my master's in pain. And then I did dentistry. Okay. And then uh, even after that, I've done quite a few varied SHO jobs. So I've worked in pretty much any department that you can you can work in within dentistry and kind of honed my skills and what I enjoyed down until eventually I uh, I applied for specialty training. So uh, it's, you know, uh, been a long journey, but uh, it's been a very fruitful one. Okay, let's break that down a little bit more then. So okay. what, what's the story going from those previous degrees and then deciding to do dentistry? What, what made you make that decision? Um, it was actually offered to me at the okay. time. So I think I'd done a lot of head and neck things in my first two degrees. And uh, so I was approached and said, would you be interested in becoming a dentist? And I thought, yeah, go on then. <laughs> Fair <enough. laughs> so uh, yeah, so I applied that way, uh, did it and then and then kind of carried on through that pathway. I think that's kind of been how my whole world has always has been. Okay. Take the opportunities as they come. That's interesting. And, and Nick, what's your story? Yeah, so my name's Nick. Um, I'm a speciality registrar in restorative dentistry. And um, actually, it's slightly different also to similar to Amy, um, is that I'm a member of the UK Armed Forces mm-hmm. uh, in the Royal Air Force. So I um, graduated uh, in 2010 and then stru- joined straight up. And after military training, um, did a number of, uh, sort of posts in UK and overseas as well, including Falklands in Afghanistan um, and Cyprus. Um, and then a few years later, um, I decided, did to apply for a master's program in periodontology here at the Eastman Dental Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, a year of that, and then working at Aldershot Dental Center, which is kind of the specialist center where you, uh, referrals get sent to. Um, and then the position of specialist registrar came up um, and that's where obviously then had to apply, apply for that. There was two different selection processes and we'll obviously talk about that in a second if you wish. Okay, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. So. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So talking about the the military aspect. So was yeah. it 
dentistry first, then military, or military then dentistry? How did it was dentistry first? I think it was like five years old. <laughs> and my dad, my dad said, "You good to be a dentist." Uh, that's when dentists earn lots of money. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, so it was really, quite young actually. I decided I wanted to do dentistry, and then actually I found an interest in the military um, when I was in secondary school. So I was a member of the cadet force, um, and that's where it just my interest stemmed from. And then I did a bit of investigation, and then realised you could be a dentist in the military as well. And that's how it that's how it stemmed from. So did they sponsor you through uni? They, did, they did, yeah. So very uh, yeah, very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, from first year. Um. So at the time, they offered a bursary, so it's a small sort of financial um incentive. Um. And then in my third, fourth, and fifth year, um, I essentially signed up uh, officially. Um. And yeah, then obviously with a with a normal salary, which is very handy. Uh, certainly at university. Yeah. Uh, but obviously that let, came with the commitment as well. So at the time, it was a seven year commitment after finishing my degree. Um. And then wow. a, a few years ago. About three, four years ago, I signed another contract. So I'm signed up to about 2030 military at the moment. God, so you yeah. definitely know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Years, right? <laughs> um, what about dental foundation training? How does that work with the military component? Is that through them as well? or is It, that just it is, yeah. Else? So um, I, I, when I went through, the, it was a bit bigger. Um, as it currently stands for uh, DF, DFTs, um, I think the Royal Navy and the Army still have foundation dentists and you go through a programme. Um, so you join the military, um, you go then get assigned to a local uh, area um, and then you actually become part of the NHS uh, foundation training schemes. Okay. Um, but also then you have your military aspect after. So you do your military training after completion of DFT. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, Amy, you said you did a lot of different things um, as an SHO. So mm -hmm. I guess that you're definitely sure that oral surgery is the thing that you want to do. Um, what what made you come to that decision that oral surgery was the, the thing that you wanted to pursue? When I started my first SHO job, um, I was doing a kind of general duty. So I got to work within PEDS, ortho, MaxFax, oral surgery. Um, I did surgical dermatology, restorative, kind of did a bit of everything. And as I was going through that year, I quite soon worked out what I looked forward to and what I didn't enjoy the most. Mm -hmm. And I was very fortunate um, or very pushy, whichever one it was, <laughs> that over that year, I got to kind of hone in what I wanted to do mm -hmm. and gradually cut out the clinics for the things that I wasn't so interested in and focus more on what I really enjoyed, which was uh, pediatrics and surgery. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to the end of that year, I decided I would like to do a full-time year in each of them to decide which I liked best. Mm -hmm. um, so my uh, following year was a full-time year in paediatrics. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I did a full-time year in uh, Maxvax. Okay. And through that, I worked out what I really like is paediatric oral surgery. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sort of none the wiser in a sense. But the more I kind of worked through, I realized that I, uh, I really enjoy trauma. Um, and I'm just very good at it when it comes to, to children. So I think it was quite clear that my route had become uh, more on the surgical side, but I preferred it with a younger patient. So uh, since then, I've definitely made the right decision because the more things I do now, uh, and you know, if they ask for things to do with uh, a more restorative side, I'm a bit like, oh, no, I don't know, I don't, know. I don't like that anymore. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm definitely surgical. Okay. And, and Nick, you said you did your perio masters. Was that 
kind of what led you into doing restorative or how did, how it, did was, that it was yeah so I had an interest in periodontology and I think that's where it stemmed from um and then having worked here at the Eastman um and within the, sort of the secondary care environment and then actually going back to the military and working in say in that specialist center I was treating predominantly periodontology patients but also I was actually treating other cases so toothwear cases implant cases endodontic uh, complex endodontic cases as well and actually I started to enjoy all all those aspects <laughs> and then uh, this position came up and I thought, well, actually, if I'm enjoying everything, why not go ahead and apply for it? Um, and then that's where, that's where I am now. Okay. And then, so, so building on that, it's probably a little bit different for, for yourself, but what was, what was the application process? Was it different because you're in the military? Uh, how, how did that work in terms of actually applying once you decided that's what you wanted to do? It was actually, yes. Yeah. So it's actually a double selection process. So what everyone would go through the NHS, you go through the military as well. So mm. that involved a standard application process. Um, and when uh, I think about 13 people uh, applied for that, and then it went down to a, a four, select, four person board. So that involved interview process and a half a day of clinical skills. So um, you're pre preparing a cavity preparation um, or undertaking an endodontic uh, sort of on, um, treatment on an endo view block um, and uh, an OSCE station as well. Um, so that was the military aspect. Then the final two candidates got selected from that and then were then submitted to the NHS selection, uh, which I believe at the time was in Manchester. Um, and they're very similar. So it's over two days. The first day is um, with the clinical skills, hands-on tests. Mm -hmm. And I, think, I believe it was a crown preparation at the time, um, veneer preparation and suturing skills as well. And then the second day is the interview process, which is involves, I think at the time, four OSCE stations involved from uh, talking about yourself, your CV, um, going through uh, patient management, clinical management, and also looking at some station on evidence base as well. So a dub double interview process. Then, double interview process, work. I know. Within a very short period of time as well. <laughs> well, it's good practice for the NHS one, I suppose, the first one. <laughs> True. So did you get any preference as... Um because you come from the military, did you just need to benchmark or did you need to? Exactly. You yeah. Need to benchmark? So I needed okay. to benchmark. Um, and then um, once I had benchmarked, um, bench, and then I, I then was given the opportunity to uh, essentially uh, ask or approach a dental hospital and to see whether they would have an extra space for me. Mm -hmm. And then the mil military did that on my behalf. Um, and then when that was confirmed, then I then got my NTN number and then went from there. Okay. And just to clarify, if anyone doesn't understand, just benchmarking essentially just means that you need to pass the interview, right? You don't you need do. to necessarily be the, the best in that selection process. You just yeah. need to reach so a standard. It's a pass mark essentially, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Amy, how was your selection process to get into your training? <laughs> so uh, I didn't get to benchmark. I just had to be the best. <laughs> <laughs> You're better than me. <laughs> um, so for oral surgery, it's national recruitment now. Mm -hmm. So for that one, you have your... Um, a standard application um, where you put all you know all the things that you've done mm -hmm. um, it is quite uh, say standardized is is quite a strong term now because it is a lot of drop down answers you don't necessarily get any free text anymore yeah so you can't really flourish and show how how varied you are um, and then if you get an interview you go to uh, a two-day interview uh, and one of them, it's kind of similar. Yours sounds very uh, surgical heavy, actually, or, you know, procedure heavy mm. for, for Nick's interview. But you do have to do a, a surgical station. And then a lot of the other stations are things like writing out consent forms or dealing with a complaints letter or doing a critical appraisal, which okay. we all enjoy. <laughs> uh, so after doing all of those stations, 
Um, you've also, the second day is usually the uh, the main interview station. Or you have portfolio management, uh, communication with actors, things like that. So it's a pretty heavy going two days because it's, you know, you're there the whole time, you're there mm-hmm. overnight. Um, but then of course, you know, everybody gets ranked, you choose your places and and get offered the jobs out from that way. I think things are changing a little bit and as because it's quite new for oral surgery, I think they are refining the process. So now you don't have a full portfolio station. Instead, you have uh, two parts of your portfolio, which is normally a peer reviewed paper that you've written mm-hmm. and an audit. And you have to take both of those in and they will choose which one they want to discuss with you. Okay, interesting. I think um, from people I've spoken to, oral surgery seems to be very competitive. I'm sure everything's very competitive. What, what kind of, how competitive are we talking to get into oral surgery? It's extremely competitive. <laughs> so not only do they get hundreds and hundreds of applications, um, but there are only usually around probably six, seven, eight places in the UK per year. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, and because within oral surgery historically, you kind of go into that role already being able to do surgery. Mm-hmm. So your bread and butter is already taking out surgical wisdom teeth because you've usually worked as a staff grade for a few years first. Mm-hmm. So the difference is that all those people can already do the surgery. So every single person there is very capable, which is why they focus a lot on the management and the leadership leadership side. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the bit um, where you need to kind of like pip them to the post. <laughs> so it is extremely competitive. Um, but I, you know, it's getting the jobs at the end. So you, you can't just up the numbers and, and even it out because where would everybody go? Exactly. And it's the same in restorative, Nick, as well, in terms of it being competitive. It um, is. So as you know, I applied for restorative last year yeah. um, and there were, there were four jobs and 86 applicants, just to give an idea for people as to how competitive that element is as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it was around about well to get to where no, you yeah. are now. <laughs> that same my year as well when I applied, about about hundred, just shy of hundred applied. So it is very competitive. And we were talking about this in one of the previous episodes with some of the other um, specialty trainees um, about the, the different aspects that are a bit confusing potentially about specialist training. Um, and there's this element of post CCST training or whether you're just training to be a specialist or whether you're training to be a consultant. Um, I think that confuses a few people. So, so Nick with restorative, it's just a run through program. You go start to finish and then you're eligible to be a consultant at the end. Is that right? That's essentially correct. Yeah. So you do five years of speciality training mm-hmm. and at the end you have your ex- ex- examinations, um, which currently is in two parts, part A and part B. Um, and then when you've essentially passed those, you've then uh, gained the qualification and then you apply to the GDC to become onto the specialist registry in restorative dentistry. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you subsequently you apply for your consultant positions as well. But that will be a separate application process to actually be a consultant. Okay. Um, so you can work as a specialist in restorative dentistry outside, but obviously to be a consultant, you obviously have to obviously undertake a further further interview processes have a consultant job okay and then how does it work in oral surgery is that the same or do you have this post ccst component or how does the oral surgery pathway work so the normal oral surgery pathway is a three-year training program Mm -hmm. there are some uh, post ccst uh, posts available they're advertised completely separately and on the whole um it's not the the kind of usual pathway that most trainees take, mm-hmm. but you can choose to do those things if you want those extra competencies. Now we do quite a lot of extra within our own training anyway, so we don't tend to find we need them. 
Um, and again, as I was saying before, we uh, when you come into training, you're normally already quite good at surgery. So that's probably why it's also a bit of a slightly shorter course because you're learning more about the management side as well as honing in your skills to make them really refined and do the really complex cases. Um, you are eligible to become a consultant after those three years. Okay. Um, but the same with what Nick was saying, you can become a specialist, uh, you can work uh, that way if you choose. So it kind of depends on what job you want to go for and where you'd like to work as to what happens at the end of the three mm. years. Okay. So, but, but you are eligible to apply for consultant posts. You absolutely are, yep. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and then, Nick, you touched on this uh, a second ago. In terms of once you actually get into the role, so you've got through that application process, or you've decided that's what you want to do, mm -hmm. you've got through that application process, you've started. The, I think the difference or the, the thing that people need to consider maybe between maybe a monospecialty, if we're thinking about restorative and restorative training, is you don't necessarily get that taught element. So I understand that if you do perio, endo, pros privately, you're affiliated with a university, it's more taught to you. How does it work in restorative? Do you get taught things or is it more of an apprenticeship where you just learn on the job or how does it work in terms of actually acquiring that knowledge? Yeah, so it, it is different. Uh, it's certainly, it's uh, more clinical rather than academic, but not saying the, there is no academic element to it. So mm. for example, we have uh, weekly didactic sessions, uh, which is registrar led, but consultant uh, overseen by consultant. Mm -hmm. um, and that ranges from topics from, as I say, ranging from oncology, uh, periodontology, implantology, uh, other aspects of restorative dentistry as well. And we also have a pan London session. So every month we go meet with the other registrars in, a, in our London area, uh, where again, we have further teaching sessions. Um, you also have time uh, within the working week for study. Uh, so actually it's self-directed study where you have to go uh, sort of learn uh, aspects of restorative dentistry. And also the consultants do encourage you to go on certain conferences and obviously develop your academic skills via that way. You can also link up with some of the, the academic institute as well. So there are ways of sort of uh, joining certain courses uh, which are run by the institute to develop your academic uh, skills as well. Okay. And Amy, is that similar? Is there any teaching component to or formal teaching component to your training? Or is it more like Nick was saying, kind of having allocated time to go away and, and do that your, yourself, I guess? So we certainly have uh, STR training days. Mm -hmm. So across London for, for our deanery, uh, we get together um, once every couple of months uh, for a planned teaching day at the different hospitals. Mm -hmm. So um, that particular hospital will organize what the training is going to be on. And then you go along, learn, listen to what you need to do. Uh, if you're, if they do some hands-on, that's always a benefit. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the next uh, hospital does it as well. And so it could be on anything. And the idea is you try and cover the curriculum across your three years. Mm -hmm. But of course, because you've got a turnover of, of trainees throughout mm -hmm. those three years, some things are going to get covered a couple of times, some things you might miss. So of course, there is also a big aspect to uh, self-directed learning. And as Amy was saying also about the hands-on element of the course, um, restorative dentistry also is very hands-on. So you obviously get the elements of treating patients, but also we're working within the clinical skills environment as well on different aspects of dentistry. Okay. And then uh, I guess the next question that people will be interested in is what's, what is that workload like? How do you find um, going away, doing that self-directed study on top of all the clinical things? Um, 
Nick, I, I work with you. I see that you registrars are always very busy. How, yeah, how, how I'm do not you... going to deny that it's very <laughs> busy. And it is difficult. I'm not going to deny that. But you really have to you have to make the time. Um, so when you get that time, you um, have to sort of shut yourself away and just look, revise or look at whatever you, you're doing. I probably would say sometimes other things get in the way. So you get tasked by short notice tasks by the consultants to do things within the hospital um, or organise other, other things. And then Therefore, um, you may have to make time elsewhere um, in the evening, potentially sometimes on occasions. Uh, but also, it is important to take a rest time as well, particularly mm-hmm. at the weekend. So you, you have to find that balance and what works for you. Has or surgery, has or surgery. <laughs> Crazy all the time. <laughs> Never stop running. The, uh, the one thing that you probably know, being that you both know me so well already, is that everybody knows who I am because <laughs> I literally run around every single floor. I think it's like five, a, five, five babies in the hospital. <laughs> Four currently. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a very, very busy job. Surgery is extremely hands-on, uh, very kind of very personable. So you have to be in the room. You can't learn surgery without uh, surgery. Mm. It's, it's as enough. simple as that. So mm-hmm. yep, it's very, very busy. So just like Nick was saying, you have to take your, you have to find your other time and you have to do things in the evenings or weekends. Certainly when it comes up to revising for exams and things, that's extremely busy. And the curriculum, it turns out, is even bigger than you even realize yourself. So there's a lot of learning behind things. You know, you learn a lot on the job because when you have a patient that has, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z that you need to learn how to treat. You need to do it before you actually operate on them. Mm-hmm. So that does help at the same time. Okay. And you touched on exams there. So what what do you actually have to do to complete that training? What What is the path, pathway? What are the exams? What do you need to do to finish essentially? So of course, over the three years, you have your regular assessment or over five years, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. For, yeah. For Nick, <laughs> you. <laughs> so you have your regular assessments throughout the years. So, you know, when your consultants are watching you operate or do a clinic or or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And for oral surgery, at the moment, there's one exam you take at the end of your three years, which mm-hmm. is your emerald surge. And for that, uh, it's a three-day examination. Sounds lovely. It is uh, very intense. full on. Pre, <laughs> like incredibly intense. Yeah. So you have written exams, you have unseen cases uh, where they question you for half an hour on each case mm-hmm. pretty much for a whole day i remember being that room, in that room for just over five hours oh, God. <laughs> and uh they uh also have a communication uh exam where you uh discuss different things with patients and and show that you know you're not a complete monster that you can you can talk to <laughs> the real people as well and the uh at the end of that, that would give you your qualification. And all you have to do is complete your training and be signed off. There is gonna be a small change in the future for oral surgery trainees because the training is potentially moving up to a four year course. And rather than doing the emerald surge at the end, uh, you'll do the ISFE, which is the usual post CCST exam. That's Mm -hmm. not set in stone at the moment, but it is certainly the direction that they're planning to head to. Okay. So now you've passed those exams, you've got that piece of paper, you just take that to the GDC and say, sign me up on the oral surgery specialist list and they I do it. Is that did. How it works? Yeah. And I'm, I'm officially on a register. Well done. Well done. Congratulations. <laughs> do you feel any different? I feel a little like poorer. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. 
Uh, Nick, how does the assessment process work for those five years of restorative? I mean, it's similar to Amy, actually, in a way. Um, so obviously you're getting regular assessed on clinics uh, mm-hmm. by the consultants uh, on your clinical cases. Every year you have your annual appraisal, um, ISCP, um, and that uh, obviously comprises of you have to do certain work-based assessments and submit a portfolio based on that. Um, once you have uh, passed that, you're then able to progress on to this the next year. Mm-hmm. Um Part the ISFE examination has changed slightly in restorative dentistry. So now there is two parts, part A and part B. Part A is the critical appraisal paper. And since you can apply for that whenever during your five-year course, um, and I believe that it's a three-hour examination, uh, looking at three critical appraisal papers, two based on your restorative uh, dentistry, um, based on restorative dentistry, and then one on another aspect of dentistry. And part B is uh, normally taken towards uh, beginning of your fifth year um, and that comprises of a management examination and also a clinical examination as well. Okay. Um, And also with restorative, I know historically you got all three monospecialties as as you were specialists in all three monospecialties as well as restorative. I think there's some change around that. Well, it has changed. I think there might be some more change. Can you explain a little bit about how that works now, whether you're eligible to be on those lists as well? Um, so I don't know the uh, exact answer. From my understanding currently is that you are, are not eligible to be on the three registers. So you'll mm. be a specialist in restorative dentistry, mm-hmm. but you may be able to apply to be on the registers of periodontology, prosthodontics and endodontology. Um, but you would have to show equivalence for that. Okay. Um, so I so say wait out regards that. Okay, that's great. Um, so from, from what we've talked about, from both of these roles, this sounds quite intense. This sounds quite hard work. Um, so my next question is, why should anybody listening decide to pursue these pathways? Why not work in practice and have an interest in restorative or oral surgery or be a specialty doctor in hospital in one of those areas? Why would you suggest that somebody would pursue actual specialist training in these areas? Well, I think that uh, within surgery, you can do small surgery which is what you'd be able to do in practice, Mm -hmm. or you could do big surgery, (laughs) so more exciting. (laughs) So big surgeries, of course, need to have uh, bigger safety precautions, uh, better skills, more complex cases, medically medically compromised patients, all those things, they all belong in the hospital. So if you uh, go through your training, you're much more likely to get the bigger, juicier, sexier surgery. <laughs> Fair enough. It's exactly the same, actually. Very similar. <laughs> not necessarily surgery, but actually it's the kind of surgery if you look to my implants. Uh, but because you're working in a second care environment, you're actually, you're liaising with all different types of specialities. You might not be able to do that in a small, small practice outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I also would say that if, if you um, want to drive change or actually lead, uh, actually it's a really, really good position. Um, in a practice, you might not have as much opportunity, but mm-hmm. in hospitals, certainly there are a lot more opportunity to do that. And then following on from that, what advice would you give to somebody who's considering either pursuing oral surgery or restorative? <laughs> we both pause because we're <laughs> both thinking, oh, I'm not sure I would recommend it all the time. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I do sometimes on dates go, why am I doing this? <laughs> doing? No, I probably would say if it's what you enjoy, definitely do it, but find, you know, find out what it is that you do enjoy, spend your time, um, you know, working out that you love it because when you love it, you love coming to work. So ultimately I do love my job and that mm-hmm. probably is why you see me here all the time. <laughs> so if you, you know, if you want to work a nine to five, being a registrar is not for you. 
you know, you, you have to be able to think, well, not that I have to come in early and I have to stay late, but you have to kind of think, oh, well, I'll go in early for this because that would make, you know, that would be better for the patient, better for me. And, oh, I've ended up staying late because that's, that's quite normal. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't encourage doing that all the time. Nick was saying earlier that you've got to make sure that, you know, you get your work-life balance. But ultimately, I feel like a registrar personality comes alongside going that extra mile as part of your norm. And so if, if that's not the pace that you like to work at, then I would say not to go for it. But for those who want to, I would say put absolutely everything you have into it because the more you put in, the more you get out. That sounds really like one of my old teachers or like a parent or something. <laughs> but sadly, I've obviously come to that age where I say the same thing to other people. <laughs> Fair enough. So figure out what you're getting into, make sure that that's what you want to get into and then put the most into it Absolutely. to get the most out of it, I guess. I would agree. I think you have to be able to show commitment. You have to be committed towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, certain things, you have to make sure it's right time in your life as well. Um, and you're able to, uh, it's not a sacrifice, but you have to come, like you said, come in early. Mm-hmm. You have to work extra hours and occasions. Um, and so you've got to have uh well, you've got to be understanding yourself, also understanding family and friends, and they know that you're going to have a very busy job, but it's extremely re- rewarding. Yeah. Okay. But you have, have managed to have a baby. Yeah, right? you have. Yeah, so, yeah. So, you know. So, you know, probably next question is, what would you consider doing differently? <laughs> <laughs> Not having a baby now. I'm kidding. Sorry, Isabel. <laughs> take it back. Take it back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, that's great. So, we're asking everybody the same final couple of questions, and we might have touched on this a little bit already, to be honest, but... If you could describe three things that you enjoy about your job, so through all that hard work, all of that stress, can you give a couple of things that stand out that you enjoy about your job? Uh, I really in- enjoy interacting with the other registrars and, the, and my cohorts mm-hmm. um, and learning from them um, because they're all very experienced um, and yeah, I've really enjoyed getting to know them. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want more? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two. There's more. Uh, there's more. <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah. And uh, number two is it is the complexity of cases. Um, I would not be seeing what I'm seeing now in general practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so interesting. And I'm not just working Eastman, I'm doing other detachments at the hospitals, Charing Cross, obviously working the military for a day as well. We've got potential other opportunities, maybe in Cambridge to look into the future. So you work with, uh, you see different environments, but also working with different consultants and you pick up loads of different skills from them. And even just shadowing them, you do learn lots so that's number two mm-hmm. uh i'll come back to you in the third one give me two seconds that's okay because i'm gonna storm right in here okay and, good uh, for for me within oral surgery of course the number one thing that you like about the job is operating <laughs> surgeons you know we like to cut we like to operate mm-hmm. without that that's you know the majority of of it gone so uh as nick was saying complexity of cases doing you know really interesting big mm. complicated things where you really do need a surgical skill um, it's not something you could ever do in practice you know lots of things are but there are just those handful of cases that just put a massive smile on your face because you just enjoy operating so much um, secondly uh, in uh, what you've already said actually it's the social side of things mm. you know it is uh, so nice to be uh, within a hospital where you get to meet everybody, you liaise with different people, you learn off different people, you get so many different opinions. And, you know, ultimately, I mean, you know, you all know the oral surgery gang pretty well here at the Eastman. And uh, we are definitely a social bunch. We are all about the camaraderie and (laughs) and the the bolshy personalities that go with it, as well as us being, you know, very skilled surgeons, but we're also 
a family. So mm -hmm. I think I absolutely love the fact that oral surgery certainly seems to come with a real family atmosphere. We look after each other. We look after everybody else, mm -hmm. and we're very laid back and just kind of crack on and get on with it. And that's something that when you when it sits well with you, I think that works really well. Yeah. It's one of my favourite things. And then I think overall, it's just the variation. I'd probably say that was my number yeah. three yeah. variation in what you get to do. I get to go work with ENT. I get to go work in Maxvax. I get to do skins. I get to do um, you know like an easy day for me would be just taking out some lovely surgical whizzies. You know? <laughs> it can be really basic, it can be really complicated, but you get to do so many different things. And after that, you get to go and do them in so many different places. So uh, I think that's probably why I love oral surgery so much. My number three. I think it's actually making a real difference to patients as well. Actually, oh, man, I, should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, what's a good one? What's a good one? <laughs> no, no, no. no yeah, generally, because in practice, um, whilst it might be quicker, you don't see that level of difficulty um, actually. But but in hospital, whilst it might take a bit longer to complete the treatment, uh, you generally actually make a difference for some really difficult cases. Um, and it's amazing to see at the, at the end results as well. That's great. And then my final question, which uh, Nick's already alluded to, <laughs> is now that you've got to this point in your journeys, if you were going to go back and speak to your younger self, uh, what piece of advice would you give? That's really easy for me. I would say, go on holiday, take a break, don't work at the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. Any of these things. I think, you know, I've now come to the point where I think, I should use my holiday. Don't locum during your annual leave. So anybody listening, do not locum during your annual leave. Take your annual leave. That's solid think, advice. That's good advice. It is good advice. You know, on one hand, I think if I hadn't done triple on calls and worked every weekend and, and you know, started early, stayed late throughout my whole career, I probably wouldn't be the surgeon I am today or the person I am today. But mm. uh, I think it doesn't mean that I couldn't have been. So I think it's, it's important. Work life, you know, work to live not the other way around yeah i, I think That's i agree. really agree with that i think um, for me uh take a saturday or sunday off every weekend just one of the and the other day you you probably will have to work but making sure that rather than just constantly working because you can be careful to burn out um mm -hmm. so probably being aware of your level of tolerance of how much and when you need to rest and also uh looking at starting a family recently yeah <laughs> maybe doing that a bit uh, later or earlier or start registrar <laughs> training a bit earlier <laughs> can, i'm no joking but um, no uh, just make sure you as uh, we mentioned the commitment you've got to be i say 100 committed and have a really understanding family as well all your things are going to be on the front door. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> That's great. Thank you both so much for joining us. Uh, <laughs> Amy, I you. know that you're meant to be supervising clinic and you're here and also there at the same time. So thank you for that. Um, it's been really great. And I hope our listeners have found that really useful. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future.